This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, it's often been said that a good night's sleep is the best tonic for all that ails you, but for many people, that's an elusive goal. Sleep disorders are quite prevalent worldwide, and determining the nature of the disrupted sleep is essential in developing an appropriate treatment plan. Well, here with more on all of this is Dr. Karen Klingman. She's an associate professor of nursing at Upstate Medical University who specializes in sleep disorder screening. Welcome, Dr. Klingman. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having it's me. It's a fascinating topic, and I think a lot of people, you know, I think I've read articles and seen things over the years of how we're all functioning on a lot less sleep than we need, but why is appropriate sleep so important to maintain overall good health? Well, sleep's right up there, one of the top three pillars. There's nutrition, exercise, and sleep, and all three are really necessary to maintain health. Um when you're asleep, your um, body recharges itself, uh, and um, what they've shown is that lack of uh, enough sleep can impair your ability to function. It also impacts your body's ability to do things like control blood pressure. Um, it, there's an associated risk of increased um, cardiac disease, obesity, depression, all those kinds of things. So we don't. When you say it's a time to restore, is there actually repair of cell on a cellular level going on? Do we know, do we really understand well, what all, sleep does? All that's still being studied um, uh, by basic scientists. Our sleep science as a particular science is relatively new. But what we do know most about sleep is what happens if you don't get appropriate sleep. And those are all the things I just mentioned. Yeah, very interesting. I know there's a lot of possible causes for why people have sleep disorders, but I'm curious as to when does a possible sleep disturbance become a true disorder? Well, that really depends on the nature of the disturbance. Um, Initially, um, the thought for sleep scientists was your sleep disruption was a disorder if it interfered with your daytime functioning. However, there is sort of the preliminary or or prodromal point of sleep disorders where you don't really know you have an issue and your body is still suffering. And Another issue with sleep disturbances is people get used to running on not enough sleep, so they don't really realize um, the damaging effects that are occurring. So in, in kind of preparing for this, I kind of came across the fact that typically we talk about six core sleep disorders or main sleep disorders. I thought we'd just do a quick overview of what those are. Sure. Um, well, the one that most people are probably most familiar with is insomnia. And uh, insomnia is one of those words that's used as a symptom and also a disorder, so it can be confusing. But an insomnia disorder has to do with inability to initiate or maintain sleep once you're in bed. And that's very widespread. That can be acute. It can also be chronic. And a lot of times people go back and forth between acute insomnia and what we call chronic insomnia disorder. Um, so that, um, that's one of the disorder categories. Another disorder category is sleep-disordered breathing, and the most common one that people are familiar with is obstructive sleep apnea. This one has been studied quite a bit. Um, that's where uh, periodically, uh, while you're in bed or asleep, you, you wake up 
because uh, your body gets deprived of oxygen. And people use CPAP for that. Probably a lot of listeners are familiar with, with that particular therapy. And that basically pressurizes or keeps the oxygen coming so that you're not Right, you're not forced to wake up. Right, it keeps the back of your throat open. And the the real bad part about obstructive sleep apnea is every time you wake up, that fight or flight response gets initiated, and um, it's harder to fall back. Harder to fall back asleep, and that does damage on your endocrine system and can lead to things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Next down the road is circadian rhythm disruptions. Uh, that's a real big umbrella term. Those are, you can think of things like jet lag and shift work disorder, but that's where your um, sleep cycle is out of sync with your body's natural um, cycling of things like melatonin. Um, Before you go on, yes. Help us understand a little bit more about what this circadian rhythm is, because I know that a lot of people, well, I know that with infants, for example, when they first come into the world, they're all turned around. We say that, you know, their day is night, their night is day. So just help us, give us a little thumbnail of what is the circadian rhythm and how does it control our sleep? The circadian rhythm is the cycling of your body's drive to sleep. So, uh, and it's influenced by a lot of things that's also still being studied. Um, One way to sense that is by looking at the melatonin level. Uh, um, That's a... um, An An indicator? An indicator, yeah. And that's naturally occurring melatonin within our body. Yeah, so some people try to influence their body's drive to sleep by taking melatonin, and that has a varied effect. But so uh, your body has a natural cycle that's a little over 12 hours long of wanting to be asleep and wanting to be awake. And then the longer you're awake, um, the, your drive to want to fall asleep is influenced by how the drive um, to need to sleep in, is um, coupled with your, uh, the time you've been awake. So basically, this is an, a naturally occurring system that right. basically comes with being human right. to sleep some amount of time and to be awake some amount of time. And if there's a disruption in this system, it throws everything off. Right. And it's, a lot of it's um, keyed to the amount of daylight that you're exposed to. There have been some studies where they put people in sort of caves underground to look at your natural sleep cycle. And it, they know it's slightly longer than the daylight cycle. Uh, because people in those situations end up sleeping differently than the daylight cycle. But it basically is basically the way we're wired. It is, yeah. Okay, go on. You were So that would have been the third. The third so one. disruptions in that. There's restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder where um, while you're asleep, your limbs just um, kick around, and they can that can wake you up without you realizing it. So again, your sleep is is disrupted and fractured. So um, that can have the similar effect as obstructive sleep apnea. Um, Next is narcolepsy, which is a hypersomnia disorder where uh, you just periodically cannot stay awake. You fall right asleep. You go into REM sleep and start having dreams. And that's even during the daytime. During the daytime. If you sit down for a few minutes, you might fall into a sleep pattern. Right, or sometimes if you have a strong emotion or or, uh, laugh, you might fall over. Um, so it's it's not only a sleep disorder, but it's dangerous if you happen to fall asleep while you're standing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with sleep expert Dr. Karen Klingman. We're talking about screening for sleep disorders. We're going to get to the screening, but 
finish your last. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Is it number five or six? Oh, the now? last one is yeah. just parasomnias, which are things like sleep, sleepwalking, sleep eating, nightmares, that kind of thing. Overall, are there varied causes for all of these different disorders? I don't think we really know what the causes are. Um, some some of it's genetic, some of it's um, lifestyle. Um, you can kick yourself into a sleep disorder by making um, poor choices with your lifestyle, but I, nobody really knows the causes. So that basically treatment, though, is very crucial in terms of knowing what the particular disorder is, though. Right. There are uh, standardized treatments associated with each of these six sleep disorders, along with many of the others. There's a whole book that outlines a whole bunch of different sleep disorders. So one last thing along those lines is then who is most at risk? I mean, you've said, are we talking adults at this point for the most part, or is it change as we age? Are we more likely to develop one of these sleep disorders as we get older? Um, well, I my specialty is with adults, and I, I'm not um, well-versed on pediatric sleep disorders. But for adults, everybody's at risk. If you randomly went around and sampled the adults that you met on the street, probably anywhere uh, from 30 to 50% of the individuals would have some sort of a sleep disorder. So most commonly, insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea. Now, whether it's clinically relevant and needs to be treated, uh, that's up to them and their provider, but it is highly prevalent. And people walk around with sleep disorders without knowing it. Without actually without knowing actually it. Without actually knowing it, yeah. So you were just saying that you know it's up to them and their provider. I think right. the big question here is, how are these identified when they're identified? How are they best identified, and who should be identifying them? Right. Well, that's a that's another good question that's, that can be studied. I think a lot of it depends on the comfort level of the provider. Um, a lot of primary provider, care providers do ask in their patients about their sleep, but they also have busy practices and have a lot of other things to ask their patients about. The, the best way to get, your, get attention for your sleep disorder is for you to bring up with your provider uh, issues about your sleep. We know that um, there's a much more likelihood of being diagnosed with a sleep disorder if you tell your doctor you're having issues with your sleep, but you may not know it. And so uh, my uh, big area of interest is routinely screening for sleep disorders even without um, the patient bringing it up. And, it's, and you are currently working on some kind of a very quick um tool of some kind that primary care providers can use? Yes, yeah, so we have a, a sleep disorders screening que symptoms questionnaire checklist. It's 25 questions. It all fits on a single page. It's a checklist. Patients can complete it in a few minutes or less, and a provider can glance at it and um, be able to tell which uh, symptom cluster is mo most likely or not giving problems. And I guess the key point here is it, how it's very important to not only identify but attempt to treat some of these sleep disorders. Just kind of clarify that for why is that so important. Right. Well, they, what we found, um, what the sleep science community has found, is that if you treat a sleep disorder, many of the other comorbidities uh, also respond positively, even if those are not treated. Things like anxiety and depression, obesity, uh, cardiovascular disease. For sure, blood pressure control gets better if you treat um, a sleep disorder. Uh, diabetic uh, blood sugar control, definitely much better glycemic control if you treat the sleep disorder. So it sounds to me that this really is a crucial part, or should be, 
I mean, assessing someone's sleep, knowing what could be going on, is really a crucial part of what should be part of an overall physical exam. Well, that's my belief, yes. I, I think that... If you're saying they really... It, it, they, this, a disorder of this kind could be at the source of all of these kinds of complex medical comorbidities. Right, right. They're, we know they're associated. We don't know cause and effect if it's chicken egg, but for sure, if you treat one, you help the other. Uh, I think probably the easiest one to think about is depression and sleep. That was one of the earliest um, one. Uh, comorbidities that was associated with sleep. It used to be thought that sleep was a symptom of depression, but all of the diagnostic manuals were rewritten, and sleep disorders are standalone that should be treated regardless of whether you treat the co-occurring condition. So there is this kind of halo effect. If yes. you do treat the sleep disorder, that there can be a lot of kind of bang for your buck, so to speak. Exactly. So our primary care, I mean, are you making your screening tool available? And are there these kinds of things that are available in a, on a large scale basis for primary care providers? Um, well, we're in the process of validating this 25 item questionnaire. Um, it is available free for use clinic. For clini clinicians, I've got it up on a website, and um, but we're in the process of validating it in a large population. And even in a very quick visit, it sounds to me like if a patient has the opportunity in the waiting room or what have you to fill the questionnaire out, at least it's a beginning to look at what the potential issues are and then maybe have a discussion and go from there. Right, and if they took that questionnaire to a sleep specialist, perhaps if they were referred out, I think a sleep specialist would really be able to do a lot with that. You know, a lot of times people always ask the question, when we talk about sleep or sleep disorders, you know, what is the ideal sleep pattern? And what is the amount of sleep really needed? And, and in just a little bit of time we have left, just give us an overview in terms of, you know, the life cycle. I mean, people say often as you get older, you know, the elderly need less sleep. I'm not sure that's actually true. Maybe they just don't sleep as much, but just give us a quick overview. Um, the best place to look for this information is on the National Sleep Foundation website that they just released recommendations for how much sleep you should get based on your age. And also achieving appropriate amounts of sleep is, is a goal in the Healthy People 2020. So you can look there as well to find that out. But isn't it true that teenagers seem to need more sleep? Teenagers need more sleep and their circadian cycle is definitely shifted later. Uh, so uh, the idea of the teenagers getting up and going to school earlier than their younger siblings um, really doesn't jive for the sleep scientists. Really, there needs to be some readjustment or take a, a, a closer look yeah. at all of that. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming in. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting field and obviously has potential ramifications for overall good health. So thanks again. My guest has been Dr. Karen Klingman. She's Associate Professor of Nursing at Upstate Medical University who specializes in sleep disorder screening. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.